Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. This is Daniel Ricardo, and this is 365 Days of Sport. 365 Days of Sport. Yes, good evening and welcome to another edition of 365 Days of Sport here. It's a debut on Southern FM and it is a change to your advertised program. Uh, for those of you listening last week to uh, Mark Schemke's show, you will know that uh, he was a little bit sick on air and uh, unfortunately he had to spend time in the hospital and he is away from the station for a little while so fortunately for everyone unfortunately for myself 365 days of sport we'll fill in for a couple hours now it's a very a very a different show bit of uh, fun about the world of sport my name is kieran beefy blake and with me as always on 365 days of sport the man from auckland the man without the plan mr robert Bryars. I'm very annoyed to be here, Beefy. Are you very... Yes, I agree with you, actually. My word, I've just... I mean, I've been so used to podcast life, you wander in, you don't really have to prepare, you muck about, you just relax... You can say anything, you can swear, talk any sort of lewd calm down, topic calm that down. you want to, and you, if, it's, if you don't like it, just cut it out, bleep it out. Yeah, that's now true. now live on air again. Live on air. Now, uh, we used be to be on... prepared and make an effort <laughs> and all this sort of rubbish. We used know. to be on uh, another station. You may have heard of uh, a sports talkback radio station in Melbourne that we used to be on, and uh, uh, very, very different. So uh, this is uh, kind of a, a rebrand for us. But uh, like I said, unfortunately, circumstances aren't the best but hopefully you will join in you will get into our little take on sport it's not serious it is in fact it's far from serious it's a bit fun it's a bit different you know we're here to enjoy ourselves well you know what this is beefy i mean i spent uh some time in the states lately of course yes. one month and i learned a lot about american culture over there did you loads and loads i'm in tune with the people i'm taking everything in i, I listen carefully succinctly to all the various little parts of speech the accents the dialect yeah it's a it's an informed visit and an informed return yeah when i go abroad and i can i learned a phrase that i want to bring back with you that i picked up from the culture over there in america Right. And I'm going to use it and adapt it to 365 Days of Sport really? Mantra, particularly for this show. Okay. I came up with this myself, kind of. <laughs> right. It's simply this is brilliant. Genius. Make 365 Days of Sport great again. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It was, it, but it's always been great, Rob. It's always, it's always been great. Yeah. But, um, it's been like, you know, in the, I mean, I don't know if you heard where I got that from. No, I, you can't I've figure it been, out. I've had my head in the sand for a, the past 18 he's, months. He's, he's a smart man. <laughs> he's a man I look up to. Yeah. A man who uh, knows how to govern a country well. And I'm pleased that we can employ it here on the show tonight. Of course. And we, we were, Look, we've had our ups and downs. True. Uh, what, what would you say was the biggest down? <laughs> um, probably in about February this year when <laughs> we thought we were going very well and then uh, they we got removed yeah, from yeah. the powers that be. But it was time for some podcasting. I think we enjoyed it. I think yeah. we enjoyed our little stint. Um, you know, talk about how to multitask and use our phones while we're on air and, yep. and things like that. So um, everything's working out well for me, Beefy. Good. I'm glad of that. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what else. Now, as you may remember, not so long ago, uh, we did a bit of a spiel on the end of uh, Independent Rob. 
the... Before we go into this, we need to, because people don't know what the hell we've done yeah, or what okay. we're about. So we're how... starting afresh. Yeah, we are starting afresh. There's a lot of new listeners listening tonight. So 365 Days of Sport, we came up with this concept quite a while ago. It was the quest, the odyssey, the epic adventure to go and see 365 different sports in the space of 365 days. Yes, we actually did it. We well, we we started it anyway. We attempted. Uh, we attempted to do it. It's the greatest successful failure in history. The greatest successful failure mm-hmm. in history. Mm-hmm. We saw lots and lots of strange sports. We saw quite a few mainstream sports. We went to twenty-five countries. We travelled two hundred and sixty thousand kilometres, and one of us became the world record holder for the world's biggest sports fan. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Oh, I did. That's me. Officially, the world's biggest sports fan, and Rob. You could probably say he's the second. Yeah, he came along. Look, um, so the thing was, it was supposed to be funded by massive sponsors, wasn't it? That was the idea. Supposed to be, yeah. Um, And they were all, they seemed to be lining up, and then right before it's time to go, they seemed to not be lining up. Yeah. And so the only choice we had at that point was to just have a crack. We had a crack indeed. That's mm-hmm. uh, exactly mm-hmm. what we did. October 2015. That's when we started. That's when we started. Um, but obviously, off the back of that, we did a bit of media. We've got our own radio show. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this. is show number 76, I believe, Rob. 76 pickup sticks. 76 pickup sticks. So, yeah, we uh, we tell some stories. We find the lighter side of the sports world because that's what we did on our epic adventure. We found the sports and the people that wouldn't normally get any attention. Mm-hmm. 26 countries, 500,000 kilometres or something travelled. Well, and, it would have uh, been. Enlightened, informed. I think we did 260,000 kilometres in the end. Right. We were meant to do half a million kilometers good but uh, we didn't in the end um so yeah it's one of those things and you'll notice as we go along that uh, the more mainstream sports don't really get covered and if they do it's it's generally about something that's gone badly wrong <laughs> yes someone's gotten drunk someone's gotten drunk or someone's done the wrong with thing with a prostitute or um just C- done calm down Rob. well calm down calm it's down, after down, 10 Rob. o'clock <laughs> we're allowed just... to say the word prostitute community it's radio it's fine i'm not you i'm not like bagging Women on mass, no, like it's like a whole lot of gen- gender equality issues being pro feminine show though as pro well. Pro feminist show, pro gays, pro anti racist, pro anti racist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I got you. Pro pro equality of the entire human race and all forms of of all types, sizes, shapes, uh, animals. <laughs> yes. Um. You you name them. We're we're pro it. We are. Mm-hmm. Any uh, inequalities? Unjust inequalities, Rob? We're not. We're not up for that. Rod, good. Not right. up for that at all. Good. Fantastic. Um, or we have a Facebook page as well. Just look up three, six, five days of sport. Put a comment on there, and you never know. We we encourage talk back. We encourage feedback. We've got to mention our sponsors very quickly. I know it's community radio, but uh, uh, we got to thank Jack Link's Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky you can buy. We thank our sponsors. Of course we do. And Masita, the best sportswear in Australia. All the way from Holland. Big dollars coming our way any day from the sponsors. We know. <laughs> We're still waiting for those big yeah. dollars. Or even just some beef jerky would be nice. Oh, how good would beef jerky be right about now? You've got to try the teriyaki, because there is rave reviews on the uh, Jack Link's teriyaki beef jerky, Rob. You know what I had for dinner? Uh, beef jerky? No, I had sticky date pudding and custard ice cream. Just yeah. the... That was it? Yeah, the whole training regime is this bit... It's not going so well. 
Right. But I, I, because the problem is, as you know, I'm going to Sydney for the Bearslow Cup this uh, weekend. Uh, so it's a blowout. So that's a blowout, blowout week, and yeah. I could, I could never feel that I could really get right behind the health side of things until that was done and dusted. So essentially, remember before I was talking about relationship, Rob. Yes, and, and the death of independent. Oh, Rob and you listeners and, uh, are really going to get well, into that. Well, it wasn't a death. In fact, it was actually what happened is relationship. Rob ate independent. Rob. Oh, really? And now you've just got fat Rob. <laughs> that was USA Rob, I think. American yeah, yeah. Rob American took over. Rob. Yeah. Well, he hasn't. He hasn't gone away in a hurry either. Right. But I'm telling you, after this weekend, yep, it's it's on. It's time to get it's serious. After this weekend, people won't notice. I'm training for a boxing fight, the Pan Pacific Masters Games. Yep. Uh, come November this year. Yes. And it's very, very exciting, daunting, a bit concerned about the amount of work that has to be done. Cause There's I'm, a lot I'm, of work honestly, to I'm, be done. I'm moving so badly. Yeah. I'm better on Thursday than Tuesday. Tuesday, I've still got wine in the system. <laughs> Relationship Robs drinks a lot of wine. Does he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Relationship Salami, <laughs> cheese. Very well looked after. A little too well looked after. Brilliant. But, uh, uh, relationship Rob, hey? Mm. The wine junkie, as yeah. opposed to Wild Rob, oh, that yeah. just drunk anything. He was uh, a bit of riffraff. Now, what? Is there, you got any news, or are we going to a break first? Oh, no, we don't have to have a break for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, have we got any news? <laughs> Do you know what I saw today, Rob? Uh, no, I don't. You, you saw me at some point. At some sort? Yeah. Basically, everyone I looked at. Uh that's it. Is that, that was your joke. <laughs> you know what I saw today, basically, for another <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Okay. Um, apart from that, yeah, I, it's one of those things. We How long do you spend uh, researching when you come up with your joke for the minutes. night? Minutes. Minutes? Minutes. Okay, it's so at it's least just the minutes. first one that pops up? Yeah, basically. The first yeah. one I kind of laugh at. Yeah. And then, if I laugh at it... The problem is that you. I always think you're actually trying to start a conversation. That's the... That's, and that's so the I, I, I give it like a considered answer. Yeah. And you're actually looking for just, uh, I don't know... Mm. Yeah, so you can pull out the the ripping punchline. The line. ripping punchline. See, I'm Which trying is... to take you unawares, Rob. See, that's what it is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you really surprise. You do surprise me. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And it, it's even more surprising when you tell the punchline. Yeah. And it takes you to realise the. Yeah, I know. While to figure See, out the... that that was in fact a joke, an attempt to entertain people. Well, that's what this show's all about. About entertainment, and that's why those jokes mm-hmm. are cri- critical mm-hmm. uh, about how different things are. Great. Anyway, well, you said you're feeling a bit rough, feeling mm-hmm. a bit pork, portly, porky. Yep. Either one. Are you feeling better than Lona Chemtai Salpita? Yes. Probably. I've got a much better name. For <laughs> yeah. A start. She is uh, uh, athletic. She runs the uh, long distance, 5,000 metres and 10,000 metres. Mm-hmm. Um, she made headlines on Sunday night in the women's 5,000 metres final of the European Athletics Championships in Berlin. The Kenyan-born runner representing Israel. Right. That's a good transition, isn't it? Mm-hmm. She previously won the 10,000 on uh, Wednesday night, claimed a gold after running 10K in 31 minutes, 43 seconds. Pretty quick. Uh, however... Sunday, Salpita badly miscalculated with 400 metres left to go, with the bell sounding out the final lap. As Salpita chased down a possible second gold medal, she suddenly stopped running. Ah. Believing the race is over, she added, uh, oh. believes the race was over. Quickly, but what about the bell? Surely you hear the bell. And it's right next year. It's right next yeah, year. Yeah, I know. She quickly realised her mistake, took off again, and eventually collapsed over the line, visibly crestfallen. Sifan Hassan of the Netherlands took the gold medal, and in the end, Salpita finished officially in fourth, oh, but she got no. disqualified because she ran off the track. Oh, blower. Yeah, but she finished fourth anyway. First loser's the last loser. How? Uh, have you seen footage of this? 
Uh, yes, I have actually. Yeah, so she was a bit. So she crossed the line, sort of starts wondering, and then sees the bell and panics. And yeah, no, out. she realised that because the person she was running against kept on running, sure. and then she realised she was ten metres behind and uh, kind oh, of chased down. No, but how's this? All the more extraordinary is that she still managed a time that would have marked the. It would have been the Israeli national record if the time had stood. Even though she ran off the track and wasted ten meters, wow! So she, it's quite funny because uh, this report, amazingly, is from uh, some Irish paper. And she goes, "This is the commentators. Oh, she knew, she knew, she blew it. She's absolutely devastated. It's a mistake you wouldn't see in a school's event. I cannot recall anything quite as dramatic as that. She's gone for gold. She's just missed gold. Except she hasn't. She hears the bell in, and of course." There's no way back from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, that's Con Murphy who said that, apparently. So, uh, okay. yeah. That's the- a very, very poor effort. You know, like, if you go one time, sometimes when you're going for a training run, yeah. you get tired and you just stop, don't you? Yeah. But um, if it's like Not that I'd know. an elite athletic event, <laughs> yeah. um, you wouldn't see it. You've got to push through. Um, Have you ever made uh, schoolboy errors like that? Uh, no, but I, got, ever- I actually took advantage of other oh. people making that error. Yeah. In my second to last year of high school, we were cross country. Yeah. And I was coming about seventh or eighth, I reckon. Yeah. And there, there was this weird part you cut into the middle of the field and you go around these barrels. And no one sort of really knew where to go. And I sort of could see your turn of hard left. And about a pack of about four guys in front of me all wafted out quite wide. Oh, yeah. So I'm where, which way do I go? And I just cut through on the inside. So I took four, overtook four nice. guys in one swift in move. In one suit. Daniel Ricciardo yeah. style. I almost came fourth. Almost. Game fifth. What about, because uh, if, if you didn't know, Rob's in a couple of bands, quite high profile. I might play some of their music a bit later on. Mm-hmm. Have you ever kind of played the wrong tune? Like, like have you got that mixed up? Uh, I've made the occasional pretty bad mistake. Okay, yeah. Not not often though. I'm generally pretty good. Yeah, I've never start, started playing the wrong song. Certainly not. Right. To be honest, in the Demon Parade, you can kind of just make it just up. Keep... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> play 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 D or E, and you probably get the get the right note. Nice. Yeah. There's a bit of insight from the uh, rhythm section there. <laughs> um, NFL NFL news. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is brilliant. Man who looks nothing like Troy Palomalu infiltrates Steelers practice in a Troy Palomalu costume. I don't even know who Troy Palomalu he was that, is. Do you remember that Pittsburgh Steelers player a few years ago, and he had the biggest hair of all time? In fact, he even got head and shoulders commercials and everything. Okay. He had this massive... He was Polynesian, obviously, with a name like Palomalu. Sure. And he had he had the biggest hair. It basically went all the way down his back in a massive fro. Uh, in, a, in an afro? Well, kind it of... went it, down his back. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. How does that work? It was amazing. He had it kind of... Well, okay. I think the afro kind of... And so did he, put, did he tie it up for the, when he put the helmet no, on, or did he just bla- thing. blaze it out? He just blazed it out, so it covered his whole back. It was amazing. It could have gone for, like, a world record mullet, by the sounds of it. It kind of was a world record mullet, mm. but it kind of... It was afroed at the... It was the weirdest yeah. hair. Anyway, this bloke, uh, basically, an extremely bold and daring Steelers fan, showed up to the team's Saturday open practice in a Troy Polamalu jersey and helmet, and managed to get on the field before several Steelers players noticed that... Palomano is actually a 37-year-old man who hasn't played football for the Steelers or anyone else in more than three years. Also, the man looks nothing like Troy Palomano. Right. It's not known how the fan made it past security, but real Steelers players quickly noticed the imposter who wore a jersey that had little resemblance to the practice jerseys the Steelers were actually wearing. It also didn't help matters that the jersey had a number 43 emblazoned across the front of it, and the Steelers haven't reissued Palomalu's old number since he retired following the 2014 season. 
the man apparently wanted to actually play against Antonio Brown, who is one of the best receivers in the NFL, uh, which is both hilarious and a little bit impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps the fan misunderstood the concept of open practice. Uh, security reportedly escorted him off the field around 4 p.m. before he was able to participate in any drills. Uh, Antonio Brown actually thought it was quite funny. I'm just going to show Rob a picture of the costume he was wearing to get Let's into check training. This out. It just that, looks that's him on the on the right <laughs> in there. Number forty three. Yeah. He's gone for um, a crop top. Yeah, basically, it's kind of like uh, a tang top. They call it over there. Is that what they call it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. What? what? So, well, is a, a training he snuck into? Or yeah, a it's a, it was like a training session in what front of the public. What was his plan to do at, at the training? What was what? the plan to do? Just get take part in the play? Yeah, basically. Just yeah. See if the team not, didn't notice. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think he the fact that. Uh, he just wanted to get on and play and cover Antonio Brown and uh, think he can get away with it. It wasn't Aston Kutcher's new series of punk Could be. or something like the that? The strange thing is, in the NFL, he could have got absolutely smashed and poleaxed mm-hmm. before anyone... You know, it's there's some quite big boys hitting quite hard. Well, he looks like a wiener. He does look like yeah. a wiener in your terms, yes. Yeah. A small, small man with <laughs> his uh, stomach on display. Yeah. Uh, in, in, somewhat, a, in a kit that looks... Well, I could only describe as sort of a, a, a costume you'd more likely see a homosexual man wearing, I think, on uh, on Mardi Gras Day. Yeah. It's more kind of that. I think you can get Or just any participant in the parade, no matter well, what, what sexual orientation. It doesn't they, matter. They might get into the spirit of things yeah. and... We will... Uh, we'll cut, sh- we'll cut off the beer, the midriff. We'll put that picture on our Facebook page and mm. tweet it out as well if you follow us. 365 Days of Sport. You're back listening to Beefy and Rob. 365 Days of Sport. We're talking a bit strange sports stories. Um, how's this in the NFL? How'd you feel if your fans set up a crowdfunding account to pay off your contract so they can get rid of you? Whoa. Pac- that's, a, um, that's a big statement. That is a big statement. So imagine uh, we, we have to revert things. We're in Melbourne. We have to revert things back to the a- AFL. So imagine mm-hmm. if um, Sydney fans didn't like what Buddy Franklin was doing and they decided to go and raise how many years he got left on his contract? Three, say. So they had to raise $3 million to pay off his contract so Sydney could get rid of yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really so that's what they're that. trying yeah, to do. Yeah. So uh, Paxton Lynch is the quarterback from the Denver Broncos. Are they making like a, a public kind of like, uh, you know, a ballot of sorts or something? They've or? set up a GoFundMe page to try and raise $600,000 okay. to pay off Paxton Lynch's contract so they can Sign him. here if you want them out and donation. And, and donation, yeah, what, that's what it. What sort of, do they need to get to? What sort of a Well, they've got money? a goal set on their GoFundMe page of $600,000, but... Um, He's due uh, 4.4 million and 1.8 million in the following season. So they'd actually to pay him off, That'd they'd actually well, they'd well actually short, have to raise seven and a half million or six and a half right. million. So yeah. I'm not sure. Um, he's not played. He's been a very high dra- high profile draft pick actually. And, and to and, what uh, extent has he impacted the team so poorly that they've? I mean, so he's taking the field. It's not that he's not getting into the team. No, he's he's, he's, he's on num- the field. He's their number two quarterback. And yeah. and so the original quarterback is injured. And yeah. he's coming on have and to play, performing yeah. very, very poorly regularly. Yep. But they've got nowhere else to turn. Well, no, yeah. Well, what's just... their plan if they get straight away? <laughs> they haven't got one. They've got no contingency plan whatsoever. Just, just make it just a point. Just making a point. Just get rid of him, Paxton Lynch. Uh, but how do you feel as a quarterback? Do you go out to you prove You know what I would do? What would, would you do, I, Rob? I, if I was the quarterback, yeah. just to really get him, yeah. I would start throwing the ball at them in the crowd. Try nice. And, try and injure them. <laughs> line, line them up and line uh, up. take them down. Because that's what mm. they used to do in the old AFL. Because then they'll definitely, the results will be even worse, because he's just throwing the ball out of bounds every single time. Yeah. And they just kind of got to deal with it. Yeah. And dig your own grave. 
Yeah, you're going to criti- you're going you're to criticize me. You're getting a torpedo in the face. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's. I mean, I've heard the stories in the AFL mm-hmm. when you know the the um, cheer squads behind the goal. So if you're kicking yeah. to the opposite opposite cheer squad, so say um, Collingwood are playing Richmond, mm-hmm. and the Richmond cheer squad are behind the goal. If a Collingwood kind of uh, full forward was free on goal, they would absolutely torpedo yeah. the ball as uh, hard try and, and low, try and nail someone sure. in the cheer squad. Okay. Yeah, the intentional injury. The intentional injury, yeah. Right, so you take a leaf out of that book. Yeah, I think so. I think oh, but that's, that's a better option because the, the kicking a goal then actually benefits the team. My yeah. one would have to find some sort of other way. It's not like you just sort of say incomplete yeah. when he's throwing four in a row like <laughs> into the, over the touchline. Yeah, that's right. Hey, uh, friend of the show, Mark Williams, world snooker world champion. World snooker champion Mark Williams from Wales. From Wales, yeah. yeah. He's uh, 43. He's the mm-hmm. oldest uh, world snooker champion since Ray Reardon in 1977, who was also from Wales, funnily enough. Gosh. Um, yeah, you had to be good at something. Got to be good at something. Wales. Beefy's Welsh, in case people won't know oh, that he's... sorry about yeah, that. Yeah. People, it's a yeah. snooker hotbed, Wales. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he was competing in a tournament in China this last mm-hmm. week. Um, he had just come back from the death mm-hmm. in a semi-final. Mm-hmm. So I think he was like 5-2 down and he came back to win 6-2. 6-5, yeah. sorry. He won the last four frames. Yeah. So after the match, this was his interview and it just... There's a couple of things that really step out and I'll uh, we'll go into that a bit uh, a bit after. But uh, this is his interview. It's quite good. It's quite hard to get a rhythm going because it wasn't the quickest of games. But, you know, at 5-2... It's looking like you're going to lose, but I thought if I can just win two on a trot, you know, 5-4, and then sort of put him into deep water then, you know, because he's never been to the final before. And once he got it to 5 all, you know, I did fancy my chances then because at the end of the day you're playing for, I think, 40 or £1,000 for one frame, and I knew that, so he must have known that. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure when you haven't been, uh, uh, like, claim one frame for that amount of money before so I knew uh, he'd start feeling if I could come back at him and that sort of calmness under pressure has always been one of your trademarks throughout your career do you feel that's a, a massive advantage when you go into a match like that and it goes to a deciding frame um, yeah definitely I'm always relaxed and and, and uh, like I said if you win you, if you win you don't great but now I'm even more relaxed and even more if I lose it on K because I, I'm like I said before I'm sort of free rolling I'm going to live off that crucible win for the rest of my career and uh, if I can nick another tome along the way great if I can't I don't care I may even celebrate this crucible win for forever <laughs> It's nearly midnight here now do you think you'll get a good rest before the final tomorrow? Oh, I'd love a kebab that's for sure <laughs> uh, there's only so much noodles and rice you can eat uh, KFC shut there's just nowhere to get any food now so, but uh, well, a big, big kebab would be lovely Found anywhere to buy minstrels? Not over here, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you'll be the massive favourite going into the final. And you know, you could say that would put extra pressure on you. But you know, as we've been saying, you don't really feel that kind of pressure. Um, no, what do you what do you about pressure? What, why why get it up about pressure? For just go out there, enjoy it, try and win. If not, you know, at, at worst case, whatever happens on Tuesday, I'll be done a caravan drinking Carlsberg and a few shots. Wherever I win, 150,000 or 75. Uh, that's basically it. Very good. Good luck tomorrow, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> Tuesday, it doesn't matter whether I win or lose, I'll be down the caravan uh, drinking Carlsberg, having a few shots. You know what's happening? I don't know if you've noticed this, yeah. but more and more my spiels I've had about how people take sport too seriously and just yeah. people just relax, it doesn't matter. 
it, it really is just, just a game. Doesn't there's, matter. There's money involved and all this craziness, and yeah. you know some sports are more physical and can do more harm, and some. But more and more, I'm hearing spiels from sportsmen like Ronnie O'Sullivan, yeah, like Mark Mullins just heard then. Obviously Bernard Tomic, yes, Nick Kyrgios, these elite sportsmen at a high level, yeah, who have sort of. Realise that, it, you know, who gives a monkeys, really? It doesn't matter. I'm getting a way paid huge amounts of money. It's fine. I, I, will, I do like winning. I'll, I'll try and win. Yeah. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll, I'll play the next tournament to yeah. try and win that one. Mark Williams, for people who didn't know, just... And, it, but it's in, it's, people go mental. They can't handle it. No, that's it. No, you have to win. I think it's... Well, like, you talk about going mental, but... Obviously, Mark Williams has hit that mental wall where he's decided he's smashed down the mental wall because yeah. he's decided now, well, if I win, I win. Yeah. If I don't win, don't matter. He's like Neo has just figured out the Matrix. R- yes. Yeah. And he's just flown inside the bad guys. Yeah. And he's exploded them out from inside yeah. out. He's just, it's all deciphered now. He just sees code. Yeah. It's, and they're looking, they look, they're still stuck, stuck inside the Matrix, but he's... He stepped into a parallel yeah, universe. He's figured it out. A whole other stuff's going yeah. on, and people can't contemplate it, let alone try and pull it to bits. Well, analyze. You've got no hope. That's the mind of a snooker player. So yeah. he's pulled it apart. But so they just dismiss you as a madman. <laughs> Whereas Bernard Thomas clearly is a genius. He's a genius. Uh, absolutely. We love Bernard Thomas, friend of the show, on uh, on our show. Uh, Mark Williams, when he won the world championship. He went on a three-day bender, literally didn't care, and drunk himself stupid. He, in fact, got invited to uh, uh, a function where he was the guest of honour. Yeah. And he took his mate to London the night before, and they went through every nightclub they possibly could, and he live-tweeted him and his mate on the lash. Great. And the tweets started getting lots of spelling mistakes, and, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a lot of JQHs uh, what, following what, in. What are they going to do? Exactly. Who's going to tell him off? Who's going to care? He's the world snooker champion. He's uh, like you said. He's going to live on that Criswell win for the rest of his life. He probably looked forward to the press conference. Oh, he was. (laughs) Oh, by the way, the press press conference he did after he won the world championship, he did in the nude because he promised. He promised. Yeah. In the first round, he 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 got through the first round. He goes, "If I win this, I'll do the nude. I'll do my press conference in the nude." Mm. And he stuck to his guns. Yeah. Well done. What a man. Very strange because we did, we, as I said, uh, Beefy did uh, interview this guy. So when we were doing our great 365 days of sport trip, uh, it was just after New Year, I think, January 2016. And uh, January the 4th, we, it was. We were during the 4th, there we go. We were invited up to uh, a golf club out in um, sort of Essex. Essex. Yep. Uh, outside of London or the edge of London. And uh, it was not a, a stadium event. No. It wasn't like, or not even a crowd event of any sort. No. So they had they set up the snooker table in a separate room, and you had sort of 10 of the best snooker players in the world there. Yeah. And we had access going, and this is before they decided they didn't like us for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> we were allowed to go in and and uh, ch- chat to these guys and Phil and Beefy had a chat to Mark Williams. He wasn't super forthcoming at the time. No. It, but he was just very relaxed. I think yeah. he just couldn't give any less of a monkey's even then. No. Maybe he's a bit more stressed, though, then, because he hadn't been winning much. No, that's right. Mm. That's the big thing. And now he's winning. He doesn't really care. But uh, you're right. It, it was, we got thrown under the bus, that interview, didn't we? Because we were there really... Well, to... you did. I don't have to do much. No, we got we were there to interview Ronnie O'Sullivan, who was four times world snooker champion. He's a bit of a uh, doyen of the game and a, mm. and a huge character. And Ronnie basically told us to go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not doing it. Not doing it, Mark. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, 
okay what we're gonna do oh and then the, the guy that organized us to go along and watch this snooker tournament um basically said that's right you get i'll give it i'll get you mark williams instead yeah and it was like oh i've done all my preparation for ronnie o'sullivan i had nothing yeah so uh oh is that what yeah oh, you had to sort of see, make it up i actually did prep for a few yeah, things yeah 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 uh we also interviewed john higgins who's four-time world snooker champion as well who was mm-hmm. very very good one of the that's one of the best interviews across the board i think yeah I, good I lady did. was yeah. Mm. So yeah, I uh, got off on the wrong foot with Mark Williams, I think, mm-hmm. but uh, I just took I just wasn't prepared properly or mentally yeah. ready to go. Uh thanks to Sunday FM all the people here for uh letting us do the show tonight because uh it's been a while since we've done a live one. Mm. February I think the last one was. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty relaxed about it. I'm glad you are. Mm. Nice I reckon uh what should we do? Uh, you got a top 10 for I've us? I've got a top 10. I've got a big long top 10 to fill a- the oodles of time we've got to never say what are you talking about <laughs> filling come on son anyway uh all right we'll get into this very quickly then ladies and gentlemen here's tonight's top ten. All righty, welcome back, people. This is tonight's top ten. What have you got for us, Robert? This is a very original segment we come up with. No one's ever done a top ten no, before. No, I can't. I, yeah. I reckon we've been the first yeah. people ever. You didn't hear David Letterman's voice no. uh, before, or the Sesame Street <laughs> tune, or at least I cut off the eleven, twelve. You on did. That. It was quite. Well, I mean, because whoever heard of, of a gr- top twelve? No, it's craziness. Craziness. Yeah, yeah. One of the great uh, edits of that particular thing. Now tonight's top ten yep. is quite simply top ten. Most most bitter sporting feuds. Oh, the most in bitter. history. Right. Okay. It's all sorts of... People get competitive. They, they do. They get a bit nuts. You know, and just before we get right in the top ten, listen, there's, there's a few other unlikely um, episodes here. Yeah. Some sports you would not expect a fight to break out. They can be more measured, more calculated. You know, the Library Olympics, for example. Yes. Yeah. That you, be... you, you wouldn't think a fight would break out there. No. Chess, you wouldn't think a fight would break out there, would no. you? No. Well, listen to this. Oh. The reputation of chess as a gentle sport has been rocked after a punch-up during Australia's premier Ooh. Grand Prix tournament. Australia! Australia! Only in the, Australia. Only in Australia. The incident has left the two players involved, David Beaumont, Ooh, name oh. and shame, yeah. and Alexander Gaft. Oh, the Gaft! Another no, A-Gaft. Another A-Gaft. Yeah, Gaft. Yeah, another, he yeah, gaffed in this case. Enough. He certainly did. Pun, pun meister there. <laughs> Jumped right on it. Facing possible bans. Australian Chess Federation ACF President Graham Gardner said he was waiting for a report on the brawl before deciding what action to take. It is quite possible there will be a ban. Oh. I want to be in full possession of the facts. I will then discuss with my colleagues on the ACF Council, he said. The men came to blows during the fourth round of the prestigious Doberry Cup in Canberra. It was just some sort of violent argument. So Mr. Beaumont complained that Mr. Gaft, who had been, uh, who had completed his own match, was disrupting him while he was playing another opponent. Oh. Witnesses said the argument soon turned violent as the pair started trading punches and grappling with each other until they were eventually pulled apart by other players. We have had people thrown out of the tournament before, but never for fighting, said Chief <laughs> Arbiter Sean Press. Beaumont was sorely provoked, but retaliation is no excuse. No. People are too harsh on retaliation. You reckon? Yeah, well, so many things, like there's the fight, right? Yeah. And the, the instigator, they'll, they, they're about to penalise, and then the guy retaliates, yeah. and then they penalise the retaliator. Why can't you just go, okay, you got one shot? <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I'm yeah. coming in. You got you got options here. Yeah. Either keep your hands by your sides, penalty stands, yeah. or you can belt him and it's even. <laughs> it's even play on. Yeah, yeah. It's play on. What yeah. do you think? Uh, I'm all for it. You're all for all it? for that. Yeah, yeah. it's a Don't great rule. Consider Rob. it. Okay, good. great rule. Well, no one's talked about that with this whole red card madness in the AFL. Ma- red madness. Red yeah. card madness. Why am I not consultant for these things? Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I can't work out why either. Uh, so where was I? Mr. Beaumont returned to his seat to complete his match, but he was told that he and Mr. Gaft had both been disqualified. Oh, oh vicious! At least no cheerleaders were injured. <laughs> Mr. Press added in a reference at the time there was a a recent incident in the Australian National Rugby League competition. Oh, really? Do you remember that? No. Certainly not. What, somebody had a fight with a cheerleader? Really? A fight with a cheerleader. It might have been diving over the try line and just it was a particularly wet night and they slid into the cheerleaders. No, but he's referring to a fight. Yeah, if it's an an incident, it seems uh, to be some sort of intention. While you're reading out the rest of the story, I might do a little bit of a search. Just go, you do that, Beefy. I like that. Perhaps he he copped one in a, a, like a, side to a uh, brawl maybe it was cheerleader infighting on its own possibly i wouldn't rule it out one started on onlooker tony oliver said it is one of the most disgusting things i have seen at a chess tournament how can an intellectual pursuit degrade itself in this way yeah that's a fair question true so quite amazing that a chess, a, a chess brawl a chess brawl yeah well wow. i never would have thought i'd see the day on that one and oh gosh i lost the one that i had on bowls did you? A bowls I had stash. a bowls one. But apart from that, that's just an example of a crazy feud. But now we're going into tonight's top ten. Are you ready? Yeah. You're focused? Always. Top ten most bitter sports feuds bitter. in history. Yep. Number ten. So Alex Ferguson versus Alan Green. Oh, yeah. Yeah? You know these two? I know Alex Ferguson, obviously. I don't know Alan yeah. Green. Okay. When Ferguson became manager of Manchester United in 1986, uh, these two actually became friends. Green would invite him to the BBC to watch live feeds of Scottish teams in action. It didn't last, though. According to Green, one of Radio 5's lives... Radio 5 Five Lives. That's that's quite a Radio 5 Lives, Alan Green. I'm not sure that apostrophe is in the right place. No, because the name of the show is Radio 5 Lives, and he is from... A bit of a mouthful. Oh, sorry about that. They could Carry uh, on, Rob. Radio 5 Live's <laughs> leading commentators. Fergie's success at United made him look much less tolerant of his opinionated ways. Green claimed in his recent book that Ferguson had become, quote, foul-mouthed, arrogant, aggressive control freak. That's pretty straight up. And a shocking bully. Fergie hasn't spoken to Green since 1993 and has not gone public on the feud, although he did once remind the abrasive Irishman, you don't pick my effing teams. Mm. Yeah. So that's number 10. So that's obviously, they're going to get more intense as we go through. Good, because that's pretty weak Yeah. to start off with. That's why it's number 10. This is some good stuff here. Natalie Toziat versus Amelie Morismo. Oh. You remember Morismo, the tennis yeah, player? Yeah, yeah, Spanish, yeah. I don't recall Toziat. She's French, I think. Marismo made her name with, sens- with sensational play at the 1999 Australian Open when, as a 19-year-old, she beat Lindsay Davenport en route to the final. I do remember that. But the French teenager's muscular frame also attracted attention with Martina Hingis labelling her half a man. Just half a man. Just a half. Toziat went further, attacking her lesbian compatriot's oh. sexuality. Oh, my word. She's a homophobic. That's no good. And then in her book, The Underside of Women's Tennis, 
deriding Morismo for staging too many public displays of affection with her partner, Sylvie Bourdon. Morismo got her revenge by refusing to play in the Sydney Olympics. Tosiat was dropped and Morismo played. Wow. Oh, that's a great statement for um, progress for the gay for gay people. I <laughs> yeah. think it's not pro. Yeah. It's not progress, is it? Well, she probably was a better player too. I think so. Yeah, because we don't remember Nick, uh, Natalie Tosiat, whereas we do remember mm. Emily Morismo. Bit of the old homophobia. We're here. We're here, and we're queer. We ain't going anywhere. Nice. Yeah. Good work. Where'd you get that from? No, you know that's a very famous one. We're here. Oh, we're, we're here. We're, oh, the second, but we're not going anywhere. I made up. Yeah. But we're here and we're queer. That's 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 the whole the whole big chant that started the whole when they claimed back the word queer. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Because you know it used to mean just something a bit odd, yep. and then it became a derogatory term for homosexuals. Right. And then of course they claimed it back. They've claimed it back so far now. Yes. I suggest to you that in the dictionary, if you look up queer, it will say first a name for homosexuals. That they take pride in the name, I yep. reckon. I think so. You know? It's just a standard refer, or they sort of refer to each other more like that. I think, oh, right. in a casual sense, <laughs> in a, just a Slang casual sense. sense. I would say it's gone so far toward having connotations with homosexuals. Yeah, the word queer. Oh no, definitely. I think it will never ever again just mean something odd. Okay, got you. I you, agree with you. Actually, you agree with me for the first time in a while. But uh, I mean, there's no reason for it to go back when it's gone no. forward. No, no, that's right. Unless there's some sort of strange conglomerate of uh, valiant knights who want to bring things back in time, turn words back to front right. for no particular reason, like a bipartisan, uh, asexual type of group. Do you yeah. think even back in knights' time they used the word queer? I think they probably did, actually. Well, then it would have only meant something strange. Something well, odd. Actually, no, probably not. I think it's probably, yeah. I think we'll it's, have, we it's might been have to do a bit of research. A, a derogatory term for homosexual, I think, for a very long time. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway. Shakespeare, I think, invented that. Shakespeare invented it? I'm pretty it? sure, yeah. Are you actually just saying that? No, I'm making? pretty sure it's up there. I want to check that out. Okay, you check it out. Good, good. <laughs> Number eight, Richard Cockrell v. Norm Hewitt. Richard, oh, the, the English prop hooker and the and the former New Zealand uh, all black hooker. Oh, was a hooker, Norm Hewitt. Norm yeah, Hewitt, okay. yeah, because well, he was fam- he never got game because Sean Fitzpatrick was ah uh, came off the bench. So would have been he, would have been different nowadays. Yeah, the first time he ever finally got off the bench, he went mental. Oh. This one I know about, <laughs> okay, because it was uh, at the time my brother and his friends were at university, and one a guy that he knew was the guy that reported the fight to the press. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. yeah. Cockerell, the English hooker, fell out with his New Zealand opposite number when they went eyeball to eyeball during the hucker at Old Trafford in 1997. After the first test in Dunedin in June 98, the pair took their loathing a stage further during a late-night drink-fueled scrap. Blows were traded both inside and out of taxi, and Cocky, by nickname, his nickname was Cocky, mm. was left nursing a black eye. The tussle highlighted a general feud between the England and All Black teams on that tour, which involved violent play and insult trading by rival coaches Clive Woodward and John Hart. That was a bit... That wasn't that good. That might have been ongoing, though. Yeah. Benny the Kid Parrot versus Emily Griffith. Benny the Kid Parrot? Yeah. Benny Parrot versus Emily Griffith. Griffith. Yeah. Who are these people? I don't even know. I've never even... You don't know? No, it's the first for me. Probably the most chilling feud of all. Really? Animosity grew between these two rivals for boxing's world welterweight crown 40 years ago. Parrot, a tough Cuban, lost his title to Griffith, a mild-mannered ex-milliner. Milliner. Hat maker. Oh, yeah? Milliners, yeah. Milliner. From the Virgin Islands. Then regained it in a fight that was suspected of being a fix. Whoa. At the weigh-in for their third showdown in 1962... 
Parrot called his opponent a homosexual again. Oh, more, <laughs> more of it, and threatened to beat up both him and his inverted commas husband. Oh, <laughs> Griffith was understandably furious. Yeah, shouldn't be that insulted. Gosh, just they come out um, anyway. In, in 1962, the, in, in <laughs> yeah. Cuba, yeah. In the twelfth round of their bout, he trapped Parrot on the ropes and battered him relentlessly. However, the referee didn't intervene. The Cuban was known to feign injury, and Parrot lost consciousness, then died a few days later. Whoa. A feud he had initiated had tragically cost him his life in what was one of boxing's first televised fatalities. Wow. 1962. Wow. I've learned something today, Rob. You have educated me in sports. That is chilling. You've taught me something. That's brilliant. I think that's the most homophobic man in history. He's up there. He just got either that or he's like one of those, like, trying to hide it so much, like a a military man or something. And then all of a sudden it was exposed and he just went crazy. Well, basically, you killed him. With his bare fist. With his bare fist. With his glove fist. fist, Even worse. But what was the referee doing? I know it was 1962. They they said he was... He just did nothing. Well, they said that particular fighter was common for feigning injury. So they said, oh, it's just like hard enough. Oh, yeah. old school. It's rope-a-dope. Yeah. You gotta learn to take a punch. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll kill you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> really? So, yeah. do you know what? 1962 and a Cuban obviously going professional, which is quite rare back mm. then, although the 60s was before Fidel, uh, because a lot of the Cubans never turned professional. They'd rather find the Olympics mm-hmm. than actually, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not until yeah, yeah. kind of um, the 2000s when they really started going pro. So sixty two, they're probably before that, that regime. That's the dictatorship. Yeah, they yeah. were. They more. They more fancied fighting in the because mm-hmm. they got looked after. Yeah, you know, being still being amateur, they mm-hmm. got looked after in Cuba. Whereas uh, a bit different now, turning pro, there's a lot more money involved. I hear pretty pretty mixed reports of trips to Cuba. Yes, there seems to be a lot of people going, doesn't there? Apparently, you still get rations or something. Oh dear. Yeah, food rations. Okay. I don't know how that how that works. I don't know how that works either. So, but they've got the, one of the best health services in the world. And lots of really and old Merit, Well, you've seen the old uh, Michael Moore documentary, haven't you? Michael Moore. Michael, yeah, Michael Moore. He was a boxer, funnily enough. No, Michael he Moore, was. yes. He takes those... The, uh, the filmmaker, Michael Moore. The filmmaker, the, yeah. The lefty psycho. Yeah. Michael yeah. Moore was a lefty as well, by the way. He was the, a the boxer. The boxer. The he got knocked champion. out by George Foreman. Uh, he did, yes. When George Foreman was like 50. I remember that. For the old WBO yeah. uh, back he then. Went, he hit him with a lead right. Didn't did see he? it coming. George Bang. Foreman had the worst. Apparently a very disrespectful punch, the lead right. What, straight through? Because you got to come across <laughs> your whole body to yeah. hit him. Yeah. Well, you should be learning these things. Oh, uh, what do you mean learning? I just told you. Yeah, I know. Have you, are you, have you adopted the old George Foreman defense where he used to wrap his two, ha- two arms across his face? Because he had such a fat gut, he didn't care if he got hit in the guts. But he literally used to wrap two arms in front of his head. Are you comparing my body shape to a fat? No, no, no. I'm just no. I'm comparing your possible defense style. To George um, Foreman, who just put his arms in front no, of his face. That has, that's, the boxing coach Steve Carr is not teaching me that as a as a standard technique at this point in time. I'm uh, I'm going with an orthodox, orthodox. Ver- vertical forearms, gloves close oh, yeah. to the nice. close over the temple, and uh, just cop it. Yeah, I love the way yeah. you can talk a good. Uh, be prepared good fight, to take eight to ten punches and then be ready to go. How how is the gut punching defence going at the minute? You mean just putting my? You I, get I haven't the- been punched there at any. Great rate okay. yet. Yeah. yeah. 
So it, it really does start after this weekend. So this weekend's right, a we'll massive the bend, the last bender to yep. to get in the way of my training. And from next week, again, so serious. I got eleven weeks to train. Oh, yeah, eleven weeks. Yeah. So, so I got to lose one kg a week to so get what, to eighty-one. Oh, yeah. oh well, okay. You, you're going to have to have a couple of weeks on the old uh, the shakes. I think. Oh yeah, massive. Yeah, just to get that out the yeah, way. Yeah. Right yeah. towards the end. Right towards the end. Anyway, what number are we up to, Rob? Number six. Number six. Sebastian Coe versus Limford Christie. Sebastian Coe. Why is he not Coe? Because he's Coe. It is Sebastian Coe, actually. Yeah, yeah Sebastian Coe. I'm surprised. Limford Christie, not um, Steve Ovette, because they hated right. each other, those two. Well, maybe he'll get a mention. Possibly. Britain's two most successful track athletes of recent times were uneasy bedfellows when they were teammates in the in the 1980s. Coe, a double Olympic gold medalist, thought Christie was argumentative and disruptive, while the sprinters saw Coe as aloof and superior. Yeah. For years, those within the sport have known of their strained relationship, but that long-simmering mutual dislike erupted publicly recently when Coe accused the 1992 Olympic 100-metre gold medalist of being difficult and a boorish whinger oh. who was lucky to have avoided a drugs ban at yeah. the Seoul Games in 1988 and was only made British team captain to keep him quiet. <laughs> in response, Christie claimed Coe was now profiteering from the sport which made his name and fortune and branded him a racist. Oh. <laughs> So we've got homophobes and racists. Homophobes and racists going on. Is Co white? Yes. Okay. So there we go. White man criticizes black man. Racist. Yeah. We are halfway through Robert Bryce's top ten of the the sporting feuds that shocked to the nation. Most bitter sporting Most feuds bitter. in the history of the whole world. Hey, I can just tell you, I did some research while uh, while we we're listening All to right. the interrupters there. Yeah. About this uh, brawl that injured a cheerleader between oh, the, the the uh, the chess match that was mentioned where they made the comment of no cheerleaders were injured. Yes, so uh, two thousand North Queensland Cowboys took on the Auckland Warriors. Your mm-hmm. boys up in Townsville mm-hmm. descended into mayhem. Four players were cited just for high tackles. Things got way out of hand. There was a brawl that spilled over the sideline. And unfortunately, a cheerleader was hurt in the melee. Another four players were charged over the fight. Each club fined $25,000 for their conduct of the teams. Just for the record, Auckland won 18-12. But how the cheerleader got injured, it's um, apparently Brett Stewart was flying in over the top of the melee. Right. Throwing punches. Missed the players and got the cheerleader. How do you get? I think that? just in came such flying a state in. State of mentalness that you end up punching some poor girl on the side. That's horrendous. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so uh, that's oh, well. Let's let's move on to some more, some less horrendous stuff. Um, <laughs> we've, had, we've had some guy beaten to death because someone accused him of being gay. That's that's not very. Yeah, that's a bit crazy. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, here we go. Number five, Ian Botham v. Ian Chappell. Oh, yes. This is still going, this one. They, I know. they still don't talk to each other. No, they don't. It began in a bar of Melbourne, uh, in the Melbourne Hilton in 1977. Botham overheard Chappell slagging off England. He warned the Aussie loudmouth three times to stop. <laughs> And then threw a punch, sending him sprawling off his bar stool and over the table of Aussie rule over a table of Aussie rules footballers. Nice. 
Interesting. Uh, when Chapel made one last jibe as he left, Bulldog Botham chased him into the street. Only the arrival of a police car prevented further violence. Over the years, they continued to trade verbal punches. He was a good cricketer, nothing special, said Chapel of uh, Botham. As, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 as a human, as a, and then Botham replies, as a human being, he is a non-entity. Oh, really? <laughs> About Chapel. Chapel reopened hostilities in 1996 by claiming England's greatest all-rounder had threatened to cut him from air to air with a beer glass. Nice. Both of them denies it. Of course he does. Of course he denies that. <laughs> I would have liked to see Ian both them throwing in Chapel oh. around the bar. That would it would have been a no contest. Mm, I think so too. Yeah, He's a big yeah. fella, old beefy. He certainly is. Here's a class. If you don't know about this one, you've been not paying attention to world events. Yep. Tonya Harding v. Nancy Kerrigan. Beautiful. So this one is... uh, Oh, I don't even need to read this, do I? Have you seen that I, Tonya film that came out? with Margot Robbie playing Tonya Harding? No, I haven't seen it, actually. I only managed to watch films if I'm flying somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's uh, I haven't flown like, anywhere for a while. Sure, sure. That, even like an internal Virgin flight. You went to Perth recently, didn't you? Uh, no, I went to Tasmania. Okay, <laughs> Sydney a couple of times. Brisbane. You get enough time to watch a movie on the way to Perth. Yeah, I know. I'll have to go to Perth then, Rob. I'll get through. We need to fill in time. Despite being from different sides of the tracks, Harding was a rough girl with an alcoholic mother and a layabout father. Harding's the blonde one. For those who can't remember, Kerrigan, the well-spoken nice girl with a blind mother. Uh, America's two foremost ice skaters were originally just friendly rivals. Then in 1994, a mystery man in a black, mystery man in black whacked Kerrigan on the knee with a piece of lead piping <laughs> weeks before the 1994 Winter Olympics. When you actually say it out loud, it's just crazy. I know. <laughs> Jeff Galuli, Harding's on and off husband, plotted the attack. Uh, he and his three co-conspirators said Harding knew about it and approved of the assault. She denied it. Uh, the ensuing skategate scandal uh, mesmerised the world. Afterwards, Nancy stayed at the tournament and I remember giving her a hug, uh, Harding said in her interview with uh, OSM last December and said I was sorry for what happened to her. Uh, not not because I'd done anything wrong, of course. I was just sorry for her. Ironically, it, it didn't do Kerrigan's career much harm. It's fair to say she's become the most recognised skater in the world. However, the, she and Harding uh, have never made up and televised reconciliation in 1997 failed. They haven't spoken since. Harding still receives hate mail. Of course she does. Of course she does. Well, it's quite unbelievable, that. Because, it's as far as I can tell, they were basically pretty similar in terms of ability. Oh, I think, but no, I think, I think the Kerrigan thing was, was just Kerrigan slightly was just, better. Yeah, that was the problem. She was also, as has to be said, she's much more attractive. Oh, much more attractive. So I think uh, sponsors, maybe Tony was actually secretly trying to fight for gender equality. No. And and didn't like no, the fact she that she wasn't. was because of she wasn't as attractive. She was trying to push forward to that, and we needed to bind together as women. So um, she hired a guy to whack her, and then <laughs> her husband, by the way, <laughs> wasn't actually her husband. Did it? Or she, he, was he? It, it wasn't like a hitman guy. Oh, it was. Well, not an actual hitman. Like, well, he hit her with a lead pipe in the knees. So, in fact, he's probably the most accurate portrayal of a hitman in history because he just hit someone. Yeah, didn't actually shoot anyone. No, no, no murder took place. Didn't want to kill her. Just belted her one. Just belted her one. Crazy. I've got to see that film. I reckon it'll be fantastic. Then again, so no one went to jail for that. Because nothing was really? pr- nothing was proven. I don't think so. Oh, don't know about that. You don't know? About, I, no, 
no, sorry, I was asking you. I think somebody did go to jail. Okay. For GBH. Oh, I probably should have done a bit more research. Nah, carry on. I what number are we up to? The I Tonya film. You haven't seen it. Margot yet, Robbie. Said. I said, I said, should have watched it. Oh, you should have watched it. Research for the show. Research. Wait, but we don't know whether they've taken artistic license with the film or it genuinely sticks to the 100% truth. Why would they just make stuff up? I Dramatic think effect, is, Rob? I think, I'm not sure what. You'll be uh, telling me. I'm not sure what Tonya Harding's uh, comments were on that either. Oh, she claims she didn't know anything about it. You know, but I mean, when she watched the film. Oh, okay. If it was accurate. Oh, I don't know. Number three, Gabriella Sabo. Oh, yes. Versus uh, Violetta Beclia Sekeli. Yeah, Romanians they were. You know this one? Of course I know this How one. How do you know this? Yeah, carry on. They're 5,000 meter runners and uh, Gabriella Sabo was uh, a drug cheat. Mm-hmm. Not proven. Right. Yeah, and uh, the other one objected to it, didn't she? That's uh, definitely part of the makeup okay. of the story. Go on then. These outstanding Romanian distance runners really hate each other. Yeah. That's a good solid start to the story, isn't it? It's a great start. It's gonna, it's gonna hook you in. Although it's already told you it's top 10 <laughs> sporting feuds. <Yeah. laughs> it began as a track rivalry when the younger, prettier Zabo emerged in the 1990s to challenge Beckley's dominance. Cutting remarks by Zabo when Beckley failed a 1996 drugs test didn't help. So Beckley failed the drugs test. Mm. So she's the older one. Then when Zabo won the 1500 metres at the 999 World Indoor Championships, she pointedly ignored the offer of a con- congratulatory hand from Beckley, who had had come second. Shabo's recent claim in a Playboy interview. Hmm. Versatile. <laughs> Tonya Harding's done Playboy as well, by the way. Okay. Yeah, don't worry about that. Right. Carry on. Uh, in an interview that organisers of a meeting thought Becklia too ugly uh, to invite uh, marked a low point in their mutual antagonism. Oh, that's not the way to do it, girls. No, it's not. He's going to be strong, move, you know, pull together. Yeah, in the reign of Nikolai Ceausescu as well, mm. under the dictatorship. Calling each other ugly, not very good. Beckley refused to accept Sabo's half-hearted apology and is suing for £100,000 in damages. Oh. She may yet have the last laugh. Uh, in Romania, libel is punishable by up to two years in jail. Wow, just for libel? Just for libel. Just for saying somebody's just ugly? sort of rubbishing someone. So that's pretty pretty harsh I thought I thought it was about to say that it's capital punishment but um, that would be that would definitely be excessive <laughs> it's like call someone a twat and they can have you murdered that would be um, not a very well thought out judicial system so um, but two years in jail well, what sort of insult warrants two years in jail do you think Beefy what's yeah how close to the bone do you have to cut I'm pretty sure you have to get close think to the bone a fierce language involved amongst other things repulsive language yeah I think a sexist racist homophobic comment Mm-hmm. That all three may be untrue, but they're all in the same sentence. Okay, I get you. Incestuous as well, possibly. Wow. I reckon they're all those four in the same insult. Yeah. When they're all blatantly untrue. Yeah. Maybe close. That's 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 a great little concoction you got going there I'm for all a over proper it. insult. Is this from experience of what you've tried <laughs> on? <laughs> just talking to people on the street. Just talking to people on the street. Yeah. Good. Number two, Don Bradman versus Bill O'Reilly. Really? Bradman may have been the greatest critter of them all, but he also knew how to. Be Bear a grudge against enemies real and imagined. None more so than against Bill O'Reilly. O'Reilly was of Catholic Irish extraction and the leader of a group of easygoing sociable players in the Australian side. As such, he epitomised everything Bradman. A Protestant? Why do they talk about what religion they are? 
It's in Australia. Perhaps it's important. A Protestant who rarely drank wasn't. As a result, the great Australian side of the 1930s and 1940s was racked by internal feuding, Bradman vindictively and prematurely ending the career of arguably the greatest bowler of all time in a purge on his dressing room enemies. Bradman, mm-hmm. the, the gentleman. O'Reilly and fellow uh, clique member Jack Fingleton, who both loathed Bradman, exacted some belated public retribution later through their journalism. That was all very vague. Yeah, it is a bit. Well, I want some proper incidents. Yeah, nobody's obviously actually did. gone See, into... See, that's what, back in those days, they yeah. could actually keep people they out. covered it up. That's the problem. So probably there was all sorts of shenanigans going on. I can see some sort of Jesus-Judas-intimate-like... <laughs> sort of kiss moment and then off he went and screwed him over something like that possibly very intimate must have been a bit of extracurricular activity going on what goes on tour didn't stay on tour Rob is that what I think it stayed right on tour they've given us nothing with that they tried to turn into some Protestant Catholic debate in Australia well back in the 30s though that's what happened here well it did the communities were based around religion unfortunately that's crazy even in the 30s Number one. Number one. I could have picked this one, actually. I yeah. Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. Oh, yeah. They're not. The consequences of this one. See, I think it should be based more upon the consequences. I think the guy getting beaten to death. <laughs> that's surely yeah, that's pretty gotta extreme. Be, I mean, you nothing about that one. Um, I think in Tonya Harding with the yeah. whacking someone. Yeah. Hiring a hitman. Anyway, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. It began in 1971, the build-up to the first of their three momentous collisions, when Ali called Frazier stupid and articulate, and again, going the uh, parents thing, too ugly to be the champ, and he called him an Uncle Tom. Ooh, that's not good. For Ali, who always abuses opponents, it may have been standard fear. For Frazier, it opened up a 30-year-old wound. What wound was that? Don't know. He denounced Ali as a draft dodger and continued to call him Cassius Clay, his pre-conversion name. After both retired, many attempts were made to effect uh, reconciliation, but time did nothing to assuage a sage. How do you pronounce that word? Assuage? Yes, well, I don't know. Carry on. Fraser's sense of grievance. Even after Ali developed Parkinson's disease, they want me to love him, Fraser said in 1996, but I'll open up the uh, graveyard and bury his ass when the good Lord chooses to take him. Jesus. Last month, however, uh, Ali finally apologized, and there were signs that the feud may be ending. This is obviously some time ago because Ali's no longer uh, around. I said a lot of things in, in the heat of the moment that I shouldn't have said, Ali admitted. Called him names. I shouldn't have called him. I'm sorry. It was all meant to promote the fight. Fraser is said to have accepted the apology. Well, that's not the biggest fight either. They're back on good oh, terms. It was, no, Very they disappointing. Nah, they were never, terrible. They were, they were never back on good terms. If you see the documentary, um, yeah, Joe Frazier. And he can't Muhammad, let it go. No, and Muhammad Ali. Well, Frazier died, obviously. Uh, but Muhammad Ali also. Well, he died as well. Uh, he always regretted not making up with Fraser. Joe so, Fraser didn't die. He did. Yeah, I don't he, remember that. 2010, I reckon, something well, like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, yeah, no, they, they, they never patch things up. Mm. And in fact, Muhammad Ali uh, sent a message to Joe Fraser because Fraser refused to see him uh, via his son, saying it was all in promotion. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't really hate him, and you know, brotherly love and all that. Okay. Do you know what our Uncle Tom is? I just looked this up. A black person, especially a man considered by other black people to be subservient to or to curry favour with white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was. 
something like that. Hmm. I never knew that. Anyway, well, thanks for that, Robert. It was quite uncles. informative. It actually was not, not bad, that one. Yeah, pretty long. Um, it took but, 40 minutes. Well done. Yeah, not yeah, bad. Yeah, we needed it. There you go. Uh, this is the uh, Jack Link's Beef Jerky 365 Days Sport Radio Show. I'm oh, starving. I really want some jerky right oh, now. I know. We'll have to get onto the this old Jack Link's people. I'm get crazy. Um, I mean... I'm just reading about beef jerky. We said it was invented by the uh, Indians, not the Indian Indians, but Native the American, Red, Native Red Indians, American yep. Indians. Cherokee Indians. But in this... Uh, a uh, little report by The Economist, that mm. world-famous magazine. You, you, have you got a public correction to make? Public correction? It may have even been invented by the Welsh. Oh, it's, come on. Right? No, no joke. Uh, the Economist reports... You haven't reports, just conveniently found something I've just to... conveniently found this. Uh, the report from The Economist goes on to say that curing meat with salt pre-existed Roman times. It is possible that the Romans learned this technique from the Celts or the Gauls, which are the original Welsh. Mm. Uh, curing meat in this way was also popular in the Far East, which had no contact with Rome at that time. Oh, gosh. Wales, see? You know, you cured know... cured lambs. You, you know, <laughs> Celts, is that, that's, that's Welsh, Celts. Uh, yeah, Celts, south, yeah. Uh, southwest of England, kind of uh, yeah. Irish and northwest France. You know, have you ever seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? No. Okay, it gets to the point where he doesn't have enough soldiers to take down Robin Hood and his merry men. Right. And so he goes and gets... They're like, oh, God, it's a, the we're going to have to get counts. So... The, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, They were a bit... Um, in those times... Uh, and they're all like mongrels, real yeah. feral, uh, throwing axes yeah, and they were faces painted feral. and... Yeah. Uh, I don't think the Celts are oh, the Scots paint their faces. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, we, we relate to Braveheart, but that's p- factually correct. Factually correct, yes. Yeah. Um, the Celts are more, or the Welsh, um, basically, they invented guerrilla warfare. Right. Because they used to hide out and wait for people to be unawares and then kill them. Just waste them. Yeah. Hide yeah. behind trees and then club them to death from behind. Okay. That <laughs> time. So, uh, guerrilla warfare was generally, if you research this, it was generally known to be a Welsh tactic. Great. Because the, the England, oh, the Englanders, the uh, English came across the border, mm-hmm. generally at night, and uh, Welsh just hid out, waited for them to come in so they could hit them. How does that make you feel in terms of like, um, as in terms of the morality of what your people are about? And that we're about survival. We're about uh, we're about conquering the people that thought they could take mm-hmm. our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rising up in the face of adversity. It's defending what you know to be true. It's defending sneaking up behind someone and stabbing them in the back when the you don't even should, know what should be in the country. They're probably just minding their own business. No, they weren't. That was the thing. Nice they weren't about. minding their own business. What do you mean, Rob? They? The, the English, they came into our country trying to steal it. Yeah. So we killed them. Simple as that. Simple as that, huh? Simple of, uh, as that. Um, you might have been out for a nice evening stroll. What? You know? Ca- no. Ca- just no, they, taking in some fresh air. They knew not to cross the border without protection. Well, where was the border back uh, then? Well. There were no maps. In fact, Wales was a lot bigger back then than it is now. Really? <laughs> yeah. There were maps. You can't have been that good at your guerrilla warfare. Then. No, no. The bloody Romans. What are the Romans ever done for us, Rob? <laughs> anyway, I reckon we might have time for a bit of this. So we played the first song that came to his head. It just so happened to be. It was the worst song in the world. It was the worst song in the world. Listen to the song, let us clear a mark. Because the words don't fit and the song is shit. Yeah. You're a talentless. You suck!
Well, this is the first for you, listeners, if everything's a first for you right now, but this is our 76th show, so excuse my lack of excitement at introducing <laughs> this piece. <laughs> this is called Worst Song in the World, which uh, when we first thought of it, I thought, this is great. And But then I thought, well, actually, it's pretty one-dimensional. It's probably going to last about five or six shows, and now we're doing number 76, and it's only missed once, I think? Twice, I think, Twice, yeah. okay. So Worst Song in the World is simply... When uh, a sports club, sports team, some sort of sports uh, entity hires a musician, normally a noted one, sometimes not, and they try to make some sort of song which is supposed to get the club, get the people, the supporters behind the club, and they are all keen and eager, but then the song is an absolute disaster. Yeah. They should have hit the abort button on the song yeah. instead of creating this aberration. Yeah, so that's that's part of it. But we also focus on sports stars that wanted to be pop stars. That's also, yeah, so we, we do do that too. And we've also gone into the realms of people making songs up about sports. Yes. So we had a we had a um, a guy from Perth doing the Greyhound song. The song about Greyhounds. Run, run fast. <laughs> run really fast, I think. It went. Yeah, so we, we've had all um, sorts of this. So, um, we've had lots of ones who are uh, not all there, like yes. pro- probably should be uh, in some sort of special school. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're mocking, we, we, we oh. play them and we mock them on the yeah. show without reservation. Yeah, You've entered the public realm. I don't care what your abilities are. You've no. chosen to take this road. And as soon you as know, you put it on we're YouTube. We're essentially the music paparazzi. We are. So we will assassinate you live exactly on air right. if your song is a disaster. Well, I'll tell you what. hesitation. This this is an even worse song in the world this week. Right. We need to assassinate Andrew Freddie Flintoff. Come on. He's my favourite. I know he's your favourite. He's everyone's favourite. But this is what he's just come out with. It's an ad for the uh, Ashes for next season. I've had the highest mountains. I've had the deepest rivers. You can have it all, but life keeps moving. I could have give up them, but then again I couldn't have, because I've travelled all this way for something. Now take it in, but don't look down, because I'm on top of the world. Hey, I'm on top of the world. Hey, been on this for a while now. May not use to the I've been waiting to So that's an ad. That, this is the TV ad. That's a TV ad okay. for next year's Ashes yep. to get your tickets in. The, there's okay. there's going to be, because it's they're anticipating... All, it's August. It's so August. that will start in about 
July next July year. July next year. They're doing a ticket ballot. They reckon demand for the Ashes tickets is, is that gonna, high. Is going to be that high next year. They're doing. They've that's the Freddie Flintoff led ad Jeez. with the Barmy Army, the trumpeter from the Barmy okay, Army, okay. and a drummer and all sorts. And they're walking through wherever they're walking through. Are they basing that on that this campaign will be so successful? It'll drum up that much support and interest, and I that's think, what I think they're just alerting people the fact there's going to be a ticket ballot. Okay. Uh, okay. Freddie's also, he's done um, things like, uh, I mean, last year in the Big Bash, remember when he did the um, Elvis? In yeah, the Elvis. <laughs> on a cold and gray Chicago morning, on a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto. <laughs> in the ghetto. And his mama cries. But if there's one thing that she don't need is another little hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto. In the ghetto. And people, don't you understand? The child needs a helping hand. You're gonna be an angry young man someday. I'll take a look at you and me. I'll be too blind to see. Do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? And the world turns. And the hungry little boy with the runny nose But he's in the street as the cold rim balls in the ghetto In the ghetto And one night in desperation The young man breaks away He buys a gun Steals a car oh, Point six Elvis, catch it Oh, I got yeah. that Excellent work, Fred Thank Excellent, you. excellent So that's uh, Freddie Fennell live uh, basically, uh, I, I didn't realize he went on for that long. I've oh, no, seen, he, only seen snippets. He like, did the whole song in the outfield, and while they were talking to him, so uh, Freddie loves a bit of a uh, tune. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why he's fronted up this. See, campaign. That, that song's all right. Like, the I, I think, no, not, not the ghetto. Of oh, course, that's Imagine song. Dragons. Hey, the Imagine no, Dragons one. The, the, the before that one. Oh, that's that. That's their song, is it? On top oh. of the world. Yeah. But you see, what makes it better is that they don't have guitars and synthesizers and all that rubbish. Yeah. They just kept it to the the trumpets and like, made yeah. it sound like a bandstand. They did. Give you're, it a bit of authenticity, you see? Yeah, I know. As soon as you, that's that's the key. That's the key to these sports songs. As soon as they bring in the, 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 the synthesizer and the electric drums and room space for like Frankie to come in and just start wailing on guitar. Yeah, full full blown shredding and finger tapping and whatnot. Right, that's you can't do that. No, that's always a disaster. Save that for the middle show. Right, coming up at midnight. Now, if I asked you, Rob, if yeah. somebody said to you, "Well, Beefy, he's the world's biggest sports fan." Yeah, but. Do you want What's, me to ask this? Or? No, I'm going to ask you a question. Yep. What is Beefy's favourite sport? It's going to shock a few people. Your favourite sport in yeah. the whole world? Yeah. Oh, well, I know your favourite events you wanted to go to. Yeah, and, that's different from my favourite sport. sport. What is my whole... number one oh, sport? Oh, I know what it is. It sucks. <laughs> you can't say that. It's so boring. Okay. It's Speedway. It is Speedway. Speedway. Short so track, what oval track is... Speedway. A, a motorbike goes round. There's four four bikes. They race around four laps, and they uh, they do like sixteen heats. So you have to watch them go around sixty four times, round and round, 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 and they slide out. And basically, they're just racing, and everyone's waiting to see if they'll crash and someone will die. And then they go, oh, yeah, look, he almost died. Wah. And that's actually what happened on our first yeah. day of the three six. So the world Someone, champion is yeah. uh, an Australian called Jason Doyle, mm-hmm. and in the the first actually the first event we saw as three hundred sixty five days of sport, uh, Jason Doyle crashed and broke his neck. 
Yeah. And well, then there's af- certainly fractures in his spine or something. Yeah, top of his neck. And he, uh, well, he recovered and went on to be world champion. Anyway, this is a guy called Arthur Price. He used to be a speedway rider. And he's done this tune called Summertime is Speedway Time. Great. It's, it's awesome. So he actually used to ride Speedway. Mm. Uh, he loves his acoustic guitar, and he thinks he's Bob Dylan. It's a great punk rock uh, attitude. Could be. Got, what's his name? Arthur what? Arthur Price. Arthur Price. I love the way I've just found the recording on YouTube there, and mm. it's got summertime and Speedway time, in brackets, original classic. Yeah. Original classic. He even names it himself. <laughs> original <laughs> classic. He's doing that bit again. Ah, <laughs> I think that's the roar of the acceleration. Well, <laughs> I prefer to listen to that song a few times and have to watch those bikes go around. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, it's very cruel about... Uh, oh, look, I'm not saying it doesn't take some form of courage, but <laughs> it's just, it's madness. It is madness. And then, honestly, I remember this, and you know what I remember? We're sitting there right, watching the Speedway, right? Yeah, Eddie had Stadium, this was. And everyone's got those horns. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's this guy next to me, and you know when you see someone and you can tell they're just like a proper redneck? Yeah. Just by the look of them. Generally, it's because their eyes are slightly sunken in. <laughs> and one of the key things to someone who's not all there, yeah. like, like, has very bad genes... <laughs> <laughs> is is that when no matter what emotion they're feeling yeah. their eyes don't change right so that they might smile or they might look bad but the eyes don't change at all yeah. like it's not really registering <laughs> with them 
And I remember seeing this moron, like, with he had nothing going on. <laughs> and just every 10 minutes with his getting his horn and just going, <laughs> Beautiful. Oh. Every five minutes, right. 10 minutes, it was like, oh, mate. Here you go. Oh, bring it la, home. La, 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 la. Summertime right. is Speedway Time by Arthur Price. <laughs> well, thank hey, you for that, Arthur. Yeah, it's King Arthur. King Arthur. He loves a bit of Speedway. He used to ride for Craigley Heath, the Heathens. Right. The, um, the Heathens. The Heathens, Used yeah. to ride for. That was the name of the team, the Craigley Heath Heathens. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sound like a gang. It is a bit of a gang. It's a Speedway gang. Hey. Rob, police in Waihi. Waihi? W-A-I-H-I. Waihi. Waihi. Yep. Is that it? Why he? Why, why he? Yeah. Okay. Had to chase down the suspect of an animal kind over the weekend when a rather large boar was found trotting down the main street of Wahi. Mm. Luckily, KFC staff nearby had the right idea uh, to lure the estimated 150 kilo pig, wow. providing police with hot chips and bread rolls. Great, great thing. I don't think the police passed it on to the pig. You reckon? <laughs> the finger licking good food worked no, a no, treat. No, 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 don't just just for don't do any police pig jokes. Uh, no, right. I'm not. No, finger right. licking don't, good food. Don't even food. think about doing it. All right, I'm not. Good. I'm right. Just continue. saying. The finger licking good food worked a treat. Police managed to entice the pig and stop it running wild down the main streets. How big's Wahi? It's, it's the beach town uh, in the Coromandel. Um, yeah. Very small during winter, but you'll probably get a uh, few extras yeah. during during summertime. Nice. It's a, there were four. We had our family drive from Auckland to Tauranga. Yeah. We had four towns to go through: Kadikati, Waihi, Pairoa, and what was the other one? The other one, Coromandel City. No, not Coromandel. No, what are you talking about? I don't know. Jesus. It's up the top by the bay there. Natia. N- Boom. Oh, yeah. Got it. Uh, Wahi Police Constable Harley North told Gold FM they initially had no idea where the pig came from, but it probably was an escaped pet. What? Who's keeping a 150 kilo wild boar as a pet? Yeah. Um, Tusks and all? Tusks and all. They put the pig in the local church in a makeshift pen until the owner came forward. On Tuesday, the missing boar was being seen walked down the main street of Wahi by a tall, dark stranger. (laughs) Really? Are they a bit strange, the people of Wahi? Uh, it's why, why he? Why he? Um, oh, sorry. No, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not strange. <laughs> yeah. They're just regular New Zealanders. But I was expecting you to say the next day the pig was found on a spit. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because that's what I would have been quite tempted to do. Definitely. You know, or not. I'm not sure wild boys really no? tender. It looks pretty good on Asterix and Oblix. That was a hey, different time, Rob. Yeah. That was a different time. Hey, Oblux, he would just in one, oh, one false swoop. He'd love a bit uh, of that, didn't he? Stick the whole leg in his mouth and boom, bit of magic potion, off he went. Uh, did they have magic potions, the Asterix and Oblux? Yeah, that's the whole thing. That's why Oblux was such a beast, because he found the magic potion when he was a baby, uh, and that's why he was not actually allowed any magic potion. Right. Because um, he just had it ongoing. And the one time they gave it to him... <laughs> Crazy stuff happened. I really, tell you. I yeah. missed the first episode of Asterix and Oblix. It wasn't. It was just Asterix, wasn't it? Asterix and Co. or something. Yeah, I don't know. something like that. Yeah. Anyway, we better do this. I'm 
I'm actually breaking with tradition a little bit. We normally okay. find on 365 Days of Sport, if you're less than talented, if you don't have a skill or a mm. specific sporting kind of uh, ID, then we find these world championships mm. that you can just turn up on the day and you may even possibly become world champion. We accommodate anyone. Accommodating if you are anyone. a fledgling loser with no hope, yeah. no, nothing going on in your life worthwhile uh, reporting or taking part, and if you all got more than zero reason to even get out of bed in the morning, yeah. we will find a sport you could still be a world champion in. That's at. right. Yeah. Although this one isn't really a world championship. I'm going to read you this. The burn. Well, that was you just. I built that I know, up pretty big. I know you, you did. It, just brought it right down. Next week I'll be back to normal. Jesus. Like we'll find something a world championship that people can turn up All to right. and just win it. The burn 0.5k run is for underachievers who like smoke breaks and beer. You mean the distance again? 0.5k. 500 meters. 500 meters. That's the length of five soccer fields. Y'all. Yeah. yeah. With a built-in halfway smoke break. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> After 250 meters. Okay. Do you have to smoke a cigarette? Oh, you don't have to, but it's, it's you know, but I think this is think the uh, aim. It says, hey, losers, this race is for you. Forget that sweaty Fitbit, peanut butter sandwiches and a fanny pack, mm. mileage logging, selfie-taking run lifestyle, mm. the burn, 0.5K, that's just under a third of a mile, mm. or five football fields, yep. offers beer, donuts, coffee and smoking rest up right yes your time has come brothers this niche athletic event which takes place in burn texas uh is officially sanctioned by the slacr or slacker right uh, the society for lazy and carefree runners mm. uh moreover your lethargy and vice will reward the charity blessings in a backpack a not-for-profit that provides food on weekends for school kids who are in need which is a good cause right uh the run itself is bookended by free beers Gosh. And just to make sure you're not exerting too much effort, there's even a halfway marker where you can refuel. It's a coffee and donut station at the halfway point for carb loading and energy. This will also be where the designated smoking area is. Other amenities include a costume contest, a medical tent, because that half K walk is just too much, uh, a bagpipe player for no and no reason. I think it's the William Wallace effect. You can play mm -hmm. the bagpipe so you mm -hmm. can just encourage yourself to yeah, move. Yeah, sure. Uh, T-shirts and a pretentious oval Euro-style 0.5K sticker that you can attach to your rear windshield to show everyone what a badass you are. Well, good. Uh, if you don't want to run but have a little extra cash, yeah. there's a 1963 VW bus to take you from the beginning of the race to the end. Mm. And they promise you'll still get your free beer. Where, when When's this taking place? This, uh, one? this weekend. This, this is in Melbourne? Yeah. Uh, no, Burn, Texas. Oh, got to get to Texas. Okay, got to go to Texas. Yeah, it's not officially a world championship. They could have that here. They, oh, very easily. Mm. Very easily. Uh, the other bonus is... Uh, if you take part, they will provide participation medals for all. Great. So not only do you get to drink, walk, mm, uh, smoke. smoke, eat donuts, possibly even catch a bus. Surely there's going to be Texan barbecue in there somewhere. Oh, wouldn't there be Texas yeah, barbecue? It would be, be a hell of a day yeah. if there wasn't Texas barbecue. I think yeah, it's a, a cultural pursuit that should be uh, compulsory for anything to do with Texan activities. Yes. Um, so if you want something a bit more challenging, though, we could head to Wales. More Welsh news, Rob. Welsh news. Well, hang on. I want, I oh, you want to... Well, because okay. I, was, I was inspired by Were it. you? Okay. Well, what's it actually called, the, the, the official title of that race? Uh, I think it's called the Burn 0.5K Run. Okay. The not, okay. Although they don't because use Because they're inspired. In... I just sort of triggered an idea, because obviously the Beer Mile happens. We know yes. about the Beer Mile. People, I took place in this early part in this early in the year. Four times 400 meter laps, four beers. 
I did in eight minutes. Yeah. But it makes me think of maybe <laughs> and didn't um, spew. the Benderathon. Oh yeah. So like you got to you know, it's, but there's a speed element to it. Like you got to go faster because the thing is, if you stop for a cigarette break, it shouldn't just be a break. Yeah. You got to who can smoke the cigarette the fastest? Yeah, world smoking championships. You get down, yeah. And you, put, you know, take some pingers on the way through or something like that. You can do. You can do. That, yeah. That, that would make sense for a benderathon. What? What can you can you handle it? And you have to turn up. Um, you have to stay up the whole night, and it starts at seven a.m. Nice. See how much stamina you got. Something like that. Like what do you it. Think? You think that's the it's, human it's, it's, version it's, it's, of it's, satchel? You can't coil. tell me it's not a physical challenge. No, I like it. Mm. I like it. Something to think about. Always something to think about. All right. Well, what's your Welsh news anyway? Um, no, it's the World's Coracle Championships on the weekend. Coracle. Now, a coracle is a Welsh boat, mm. uh, paddle-powered or powered. You have to row it yourself. Right. It's a one-person boat, and it's circular. One-person boat, and it's circular. Yeah, very, very difficult. If you've never... That doesn't make sense. No. And you use oars. You An oar. There's only one person. There's only one oar for yeah. a round boat. Yeah. That's a horrendous You can design. go around in circles if you don't get it right. That's... The, 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 that was not designed by someone who's qualified, I don't think. <laughs> uh, it was a fishing... It's a fishing boat. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say perfectly... Well, it kind of is perfectly round. You know, it's only a Welsh boat. We're a bit mad sometimes. And is there a race taking place, is there? There is. On yeah. Saturdays, the World Coracle Racing Championship. In Cardiff? In Kilgarren. Where's that? It's West Wales. Okay. It's middle of nowhere. Is that not like even, lot even rougher out there? Uh, it's a bit more as... wild. Okay. <laughs> That's where those Robin Hood types are. Oh, yeah, no doubt, yeah. From the Grove so it's Warfare. A, a it's a small, rounded, lightweight boat of the sort traditionally used in Wales. What are the word coracles in English spelling of the Welsh? Kurgl. How do you spell Kurgl in Welsh? C-W-R-W-G-L. <laughs> I'd like to buy a vowel, Bob. No? Sorry. So they were recorded as uh, early as the 16th century. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were traditionally for fishing. Designed for use in swiftly well, flowing made... streams. Right, okay. There you go. So there was a reason why. Um, there's, a, there's a great... I saw in Hawaii recently one of these rubber tube type uh, canal, oh, canal yeah. voyages. The lazy so they're, they're great fun for that sort of thing. You, you need a current. But when there's, if the lake's still, um, one oar is going to be a, a bit of yeah. a challenge. So they race 200-meter um, uh, races, and it's a knockout type thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you do a couple of races in the day, and then you, you have to get through your heats, and then there's a final. Okay. Well, I'm not going to do that one. I prefer the lazy man's race than the other one. Yep. Surprisingly enough. Surprisingly enough. Um, it's just, I, well, because you know what? When I was a kid and I was doing kayaking, I used to always find I'd knock my knuckles on the edge of the kayak. Really? Bang, bang, bang. And in the end, uh. up with two bleeding knuckles. It wasn't much fun. And I think, well, they were quite narrow. Yeah. These round things, yeah, yeah. they're going to be particularly wide. Yeah. I'm gonna. It's just gonna be. But you don't get a paddle. You don't get a two-ended paddle. You only yeah, get, uh, you get the one. Yeah. Is it a um, rubber tube? No, it's wooden. It's wood. Yeah, it's a. It's like a round wooden cylinder, lightweight wood. I don't know whether they've created a plastic version for modern days. So I'm not sure about sure, that. Sure, that's one of the things that they should decide. Okay, this has had its day. <laughs> this is no longer necessary. It's like jousting. Yes. Jousting should have been stopped. And yeah. It was stopped, but then um, some madman from. Utah anyway, yeah. brought it back. Um, so th- these things have, have been eliminated through natural selection. It's yeah. a part of evolution. I think this we, is we as humans have our own evolution, and there's also evolution of what's sensible and logical in terms of things with which we need to partake in activities. Yeah. We've advanced beyond a round raft type yes. thing. 
It's useless. I think it's get rid of it. Just been brought there's, back there's, for novelty value. Okay. I don't think there's anyone that uses. No, no a one's out there trying to bring this back as a useful no. item with which very much we can so. still uh, get pick up fish produce. Yeah. To uh, get on the next episode of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. No, or something. it'll be a more Heston Blumenthal that one in a coracle. Right. No, oh, what's the other something dude called? Out there. Uh, the double-barreled. Jamie Oliver? No. Anyway, I can't remember. He grows his own food and cooks in his restaurant. I don't know. Yeah, you do. Anyway. Well, we haven't got much time, Rob. This uh, We've flown through this two hours. Right. Apparently. Gosh. Um, look, we've got to thank. Well, we've got to thank Southern FM. We hope uh, Mark Shemke, uh, Shembry is getting better because, uh, obviously, terrible tragedy. Tra- uh, tra- tra- traumatizing. Traumatizing event. Yes, event last week. So hopefully he's getting better. Uh, we've got to thank Jake Link's Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky you can possibly buy on this planet. It's gorgeous. Get out to your local supermarket. Get the teriyaki in. It's fantastic. We've got to thank Macedo, the best sportswear in Australia. It's cheap. It's great quality. They will even give you sponsorship money so you can buy more gear for your sporting club or community group. Uh, we're not sure whether we'll be back next week. Uh, we will wait and see, but thank you for listening wherever you are on the planet. Uh, Rob, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm off to Sydney. You are. Burslow Cup, huge, massive vendor. All my mates from New Zealand are flying over. And so I'm, uh, you know, they're all kind of two and three kids deep at Whoa. the moment. So yep. uh, for them, it's very much a big, big weekend. I, if I'm honest, can't really be asked, but I'll go in anyway. Um, Splinter's so cub. He's well, yeah, been the biggest been event of the, the year. I've been in the States for a month and yeah. just been blazing away far too much. But it is a good bookend on the end of uh, yeah. win- winter gluttony. Line in the sand for Rob. Yeah, this is it. Now it's serious time. Boxing fight. Boom, boom, boom. Gonna, I'm going to be so focused. You have yeah. no idea. It's going to be. going to shock you. You wait. We're going to have a uh, special guest next week as well. There's a guy riding a bike from Brisbane to Adelaide to raise money for um, um, some a... sort of leukemia. It's a big big ride. Right. So uh, we will be interviewing him, I think, next Fantastic. week. So he starts there in a... Will he be mid-ride? I don't think so. I think we're going to get him just before he goes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, apart from that, yeah, I'm looking forward to the rugby, actually. It's uh, mm. going to be a mm. good kick-off to the international rugby season. Yeah. It is uh, grand final day in Melbourne as well for Melbourne Club Rugby. So mm. every grand final is on on Saturday. If you're out towards Box Hill, uh, I think uh, the girls kick off at 11. And then there's, oh, there's games from 9.15 all yeah. day, if you fancy that. The main game, first grade, senior final, is at oh, 3.00. 15, I think, but it okay. uh, should be a cracker. So you can tune in on Rugby Victoria's Facebook page for live coverage if you're not in the area. Mm-hmm. But We've apart the, from that... There's the Winx stakes at Ram, oh, is it? Ramwick. Is Winx oh, running? No. Uh, it's not 100% confirmed yet, but yes. Okay. Yes. All right, there you go. Well, yeah. this has been yet another edition, an extended edition of 365 Days of Sport. We will see you next time. You will.